Well, hello there, listeners, and welcome to the only podcast in the known universe where you can hear two straight white guys give you their own unique opinions on stuff. <laughs> the only one. <laughs> That's yep. why we deserve all those five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts, That's right? Because right. we're so unique. Yep. We're the only ones, so don't go looking for others, because uh, uh. where would they be? Yeah, this is something special that we got going on here. Whenever <laughs> we started this podcast a couple of years ago, we were like, I don't know about doing a podcast. What could we bring to the table? And then I think it was you was like, well, we're two dudes yep. that are white and straight and cis. People don't this hear that unique. opinion enough, right? Uh-uh, we got a unique perspective on things, and that's what people need to hear. <laughs> anyway, family guy, right? Awesome. <laughs> so funny, man. Have you listened to that new Joe Rogan podcast? Oh, oh man. my God. I mean, <laughs> I get it. I get it. You know, you gotta you gotta branch out sometimes. You're like, what do the white dudes think? Yeah, here we are, talking about mm-hmm. horror movies. <laughs> it's dead and lovely here with the host with the most. It's me, your good buddy, Uncle Ben. And me, Hollywood Steve. And we are here today because we need to talk about Kevin. That's the movie that we're going to be talking about this week. Yep. And boy, howdy, are we ever going to try to make this episode fun. <laughs> <laughs> that is going to be a challenge right there, isn't yeah. it, Steve? It is, yeah. Yeah, this is not, um, this is never gonna make you feel good watching this movie it is boy i i just like was dev i've already seen this movie just yeah devastated watching it again yep yep you and me both man yep. and you know this is again one of those movies that's kind of like a good litmus test where if you meet a new person and you think you could be friends you just show them this movie and if afterwards they're happy you're like we can't be friends yeah <laughs> no <laughs> get out of no. my life you are screwed <laughs> That's right. Uh, But before we get into the movie review, we're going to shoot the shit, catch up, slam a cold beer, do some chatting and chin wagging and all that stuff. So if you just want to get straight on to the movie review, you might be a redneck. And there (laughs) might be a timestamp for you down there in the podcast description telling you right where to go. Take that timestamp and shove it, right? Yeah. I think one day we are going to get a cease and desist from Jeff Foxworthy. (laughs) Yeah. He is a listener, as we know. Yeah, well, he loves the show. He just mm-hmm. doesn't want us stealing his bit. That's true. It is kind of his thing, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> How you been doing this week, Steve? I, I've been I've been doing pretty good. Mostly getting down on some NBA Live 2019. Uh-oh, they made a 2019 basketball game? Uh, the, yeah, they, they keep making them. There's a what? 2020, even a 2021? It's crazy. I mean, do these people not know that NBA Jam already exists? I think they must not have heard. Because if they had, they'd be like, what, you can play as a kid? (laughs) Big head mode? Why should we even bother making another basketball game? But no Jordan. Mm, Okay. Yeah, no Jordan. But uh, yeah. Yeah, I've been hooping, man. I I am. I'm really digging it. I've talked in the past about my my love for basketball video games i played nba live 95 maybe like last year and talked about how into it i was this Mm -hmm, game is 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 much more advanced and much uh better i really i've I've been playing the hell out of it and really enjoying it 
So by now I'm starting to think that your hooping and hollering thing isn't just a phase. This isn't just a phase you're going to nope. go through and just nope. move on, huh? No, I'm going to continue hooping, and I am never going to stop hollering. Hello! It- Ho! Hacksaw <laughs> <laughs> Jim Duggan style. <laughs> That's right. But, uh, yeah, Ben, I haven't been, uh, I've been having a pretty great week. How about you? I've been doing pretty well myself. I've been here in my palatial home studio aka the left wall of the living room in our apartment (laughs) doing some recording i've been uh going through and this has been really fun for me this week man i'm finishing up a song that i started back in the human fuse days my first band human fuse back in college yeah Uh, myself and mitchell and the other guys in that band started writing a song called space wine Space we never finished okay. up. Yeah, totally, totally inspired by uh, one of those really early <laughs> Lonely Island skits where Andy Samberg was like, I'm all drunk on this space wine. Oh, right, right. <laughs> yes, I remember that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we started this song called Space Wine, and it went through like a million different versions, and we tried putting vocals on it, and it just never really sat right, but it's always been in the back of my head. And kind of the conclusion that I came to is I was like, oh, yeah, the reason why we could never finish this song is because it needed to be an instrumental. Like vocals just don't really work on this, you know? So you've been you've been fleshing it out. Mm -hmm. That I have getting some real good sounds out of it the past few days. But I have had time to catch a movie flick or two. Oh, yeah. Or five. And I want to tell you five. You want to hear about them? Are you ready? I do. Boy, am I ready? I'm the readiest. Buckle I'm over here up. fully turgid. <laughs> fully turgid. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we watched The Nomad Land this ah, week with old Frances McDormand. McDermott. Yeah, she is amazing. Amazing. She is, dude. She is a blessing to the world of movie films. And yeah. uh, this flick, man, it is a it is an introspective quiet character study of character uh-huh. studies i'll tell you this like okay it's it's not really one of those ones where you're like i want to watch the story of uh, a romance between two star-crossed lovers that has a happy ending it's not really that kind of movie it's really a character study kind of flick okay and i think a lot a lot of people out there could really relate to it um because it, it, it all relates to, like the economy and mm-hmm you know how you can continue living life when you can't afford to retire and all this other stuff beautiful very heavy yeah very fun movie for sure laugh riot i'll tell you that uh but i do recommend it very well shot very very beautiful movie you know the night that we watched we need to talk about kevin we knew what we were getting into because we saw this movie in theaters whenever it came out years ago yes and uh we knew very well how heavy of a movie it was going to be. So we chose to make it the meat in a movie sandwich between two slices of celluloid bread that <laughs> just a delight. You are not convincing people you're not a robot. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know how we all eat celluloid yeah, you know how it is. <laughs> <laughs> so we decided to have ourselves just a fun time before and after we watched that movie. Before we watched it, we caught a little flick called Bring It On. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Okay. Which is a delight. Like, it sure. is really, it's one of those movies I was super skeptical to watch back in the day because I thought it was just like, 
a really lame cheerleading movie. Right. But it's all very cynical and like very much making fun of the entire thing. You've seen it, right? Yeah. It's been a while. Yeah. It's still a delight. It still has a lot of things that are really not aging very well at all. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's one of those things where you watch it and you're like, oh, yeah, back then people did casually drop the the hard F um, homophobic term a lot. Right. And it's a they lot did. in that movie. And it's like, oh, yeah, that, that was something that people Yikes. did. Yeah, that's so fun. there's a lot of stuff that's not really standing the test of time. Uh, but it's still just a fun, stupid movie. So we watched that. We watched We Need to Talk About Kevin. And then we needed to bring it up and just uplift things and raise our spirits with a little person named Whoopi Goldberg. So we watched Sister Act. Okay. <laughs> it's, been, it's been quite a while since I saw Sister Act. Now, let me see if I remember accurately what happens. Okay. Yeah. She is running from some criminals yes and she hides out with the nuns because they were supposed to get a new nun and she was like yeah that's me yes that's right they they hid her in a crate marked new nun shipment (laughs) and they tossed her that way and that's how she showed up that is correct okay Huh. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she teaches them how to sing uh, in a way that is not boring as hell. That's correct. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I do remember the movie pretty well. Yep. That is exactly accurate. That's how it goes. And it was a good time. And I'll tell you this. It also got me thinking about something, man. So, you know, she's placed in the convent there because she's part of the witness protection program and stuff, right? Right. The other day, we were watching a rerun of Jeopardy while we were doing our exercising Okay. And uh, it was the college tournament of champions. And there is a dude in there that was a competitor that has the name that I have now chosen as my own fake name that I'm always going to put in on like websites that you don't want to like give your real right. info to or uh-huh. like check in at hotels or maybe order a pizza with a funny name. Uh huh. Because this guy's name was Thatcher Chonka. <laughs> no, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, I know. First name Thatcher, like Margaret Thatcher. Oh god! Oh, <laughs> named after Margaret Thatcher? I hope not. I sure hope not, man. And then his last name is the real doozy, Chonka. C H O N K A. And the guy is like—he looks like mayonnaise that was formed into a person. He's the whitest dude ever, <laughs> and his name is Thatcher <laughs> Chonka. I'm like, hold up! That's the greatest name I've ever fucking heard. Okay. All right. Um, Wow. Okay. (laughs) So if I ever have to go into witness protection, that is my new name. From now on. Yeah. That's it, man. That's it. I'll call you Thatch. Um, Okay. Or Chonk. Chonk is good, too. Hey, Chonk. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah. (laughs) The other day, we had some brunch and watched Moxie, which is the new Amy Poehler flick on Uh the Netflix. I've I've watched the uh, the preview for it, and I was like, "Oh, Emily will probably want to watch that." So I'm holding. Man, it's really, really good. I'll tell you what. It's it's a very enjoyable flick. I feel like a lot of people, a lot of young people, need to see this movie and enjoy it. Okay. They need to enjoy it. 
They need to. Sit here and enjoy <laughs> this, kids. <laughs> you better. <laughs> Gave me some perspective about what it must be like to be a high schooler these days and how a lot of things haven't changed since the days when we were high schoolers long ago. Yeah, except that we added computers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely worth a watch, though. I, I really liked it a lot, man. Um, it's like... It's funny, it's sweet, it's kind of long, but it didn't feel like it was being long for the sake of being long, like a John Apatow movie or something. It's like, well, it has more to say, so therefore the movie is longer. I definitely recommend it. You guys should watch it. I think that you like it a lot. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm definitely interested, so I'm, I'm glad to hear that it is good. Yeah, and then the other thing that we watched was Killing Them Softly, which is a... Okay, I'll tell you this. When you hear about the movie that it's a mob movie that has James Gandolfini and Brad Pitt, uh-huh. and I mean tons of people are in this flick, yeah, I remember man. The like cast a couple different stack. people from The Sopranos, yeah. And it's a mob movie on top of it. It's like, oh my god, this is gonna be awesome. Oh, Ray Liotta's in it too, you know? Oh, okay. So I was really stoked to watch it. Uh, it was okay. Huh. It was okay. Yeah, you, you mentioned it when we were talking ahead, and um, I, I I barely remembered it. And that, that cast should be something you remember, right? Yeah, you'd think so, man. Like, the problem that the movie really suffers from, and this is especially bad for me, because you know how terrible I am with, with like, keeping up with character names and stuff right. in movies. Uh-huh. But this is one of those flicks where you see somebody on camera, like, once in one short scene... And then they're off camera the entire movie and everyone refers to them by name. And you're like, who are they talking about? You know? Yeah. So it's like, you just see a few little scenes and then the rest of the movie, it's all like, oh yeah, Mikey, he's working with Dylan. You know, they're the ones that know the squirrel, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, <laughs> who are they fucking talking about? Like, you showed me this person literally once. I didn't catch their name. Like, right. I, I, as a movie watcher, sometimes I need those obnoxious Guy Ritchie, like, person walks into the room oh hey how's everybody doing big you know blow up graphic on the screen johnny the wise guy like i kind of need that (laughs) shit sometimes if you're just gonna show me a character once and then refer to him by name the rest of the movie yeah i think i think maybe they should just because like this is uh, this is an old problem for sure olds have this problem (laughs) but it, it is also just a problem that people uh who have uh ADD have my wife has a lot of trouble following names and stuff uh and pronouns will mess with her so like she'll be like wait who are they talking about now um yeah but it it definitely might be a thing in the future where just a little like subtitle name flashes up whenever people <laughs> like this is who this is that just if you want to keep up with Game of Thrones, this is who this is. I could use that, you know? Or maybe if they had like a... It's not a terrible idea. Like the thing in The Sims where it's like it's got the little diamond above their head with their name above it and stuff. Right. I'd be okay with that. I think and that would they improve should just my go ahead watching. and speak Simish. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> or they could be polite and everyone could wear name tags, okay? Yeah, that's a good idea. Just have everyone in name tags in every movie. Hi, yep. it's me, Deadpool. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hello, my name is Superman. Oh, that's Superman. Oh, okay. And then they have a scene <laughs> where he's like peeling off the Superman name tag and putting on the Clark Kent name tag. And people are like, yeah, that's it. Whoa, Clark, how, where, where were you? 
<laughs> but yeah, it was okay. It had some cool parts in it. It had some really great violent scenes in it. Some of the like beatdowns right. and stuff in it were like truly brutal and really good to watch. So uh, good and bad, but overall couldn't really recommend it. Too truly much. brutal and really good to watch. <laughs> <laughs> you watch anything worth recommending this week, Steve? Uh, I've watched some things. I yeah, I watched something worth recommending for sure. But I've watched some things as well. Some um, stuff and things. Yeah, uh, Brandon Suttles, our pal, recommended to us a movie called The Vigil. From oh, yeah. uh, uh, it came out in 2019, but I think just got distribution this year. Um, it solid, dark movie. Definitely gets lighter at the end definitely i was surprised i i was like oh this is just gonna be a dark 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 sad movie um so it, it was in the vein of say like his house to me but okay. uh working on a different level with a different culture we're dealing with the orthodox jewish neighborhood uh it starts with people who have left the orthodox jewish uh, culture behind and are trying to assimilate into the world and mm. our main character is trying to get you know away from orthodoxy and is asked to be a, a shomer uh, who, which is someone who sits with the body because the body's not supposed to be left alone uh, in the orthodox uh, beliefs so oh. he's supposed to sit with this dead body and uh, it, it takes a dark turn, not surprisingly, from there. Oh, my. Yeah. I It, it was solid. Uh, definitely, I think the third act was rushed, but solid movie. Definitely worth a watch. I'm guessing it turns into kind of a Weekend at Bernie's scenario, yep. right? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what happens. Is He's like, well, if I'm here, I'm going to hang out with this body. Put a cigarette in his lips. This will be fun. <laughs> Hawaiian shirt, uh -huh. sunglasses. <laughs> Convince people he's actually alive. Yeah, it'll be fun. Weekend at Bernie's is a horror movie <laughs> with, <laughs> with a soundtrack that's telling you it's not. <laughs> oh my god, dude! Do you think that there's people that are like really into necrophilia that watch that movie and they're like, "Oh yeah, move him around some more." Glad we got back to the necrophile guy because <laughs> we yeah, know exactly. he's listening. <laughs> Yeah, he, he listened to the show because it's called Dead and Lovely. I mean, that's, yeah. you know, it's right up his yeah. alley. So yeah. here we are catering to him <laughs> again. Uh, but yeah, yeah, uh, Brandon Brandon was correct. Check out The Vigil. Worth, worth a watch. Uh, All right. I also watched Amityville 2, The Possession. <laughs> okay, I've never seen it, but I've heard about it. Okay, the amount of incest you normally expect in a movie, zero, right? Yeah, typically zero. This has more than that. <laughs> Therefore, not really what I'm into. <laughs> yeah, uh, so it's, boy, it's got Polly from, from Rocky running around slapping the shit out of his family. It's, um, <laughs> it's directed by a guy with the most Italian name ever, maybe, uh, Dimiano Dimiani. <laughs> That's made up. He's in witness protection. That's Italian for Thatcher Chonka, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> it did remind me of uh, uh, some Giallo. It, ha it definitely had some influence in that. And, like, honestly, not terrible 
as far as movies go. Uh, it, <laughs> if you're watching just ridiculous 80s horror sequels, Amityville 2 is is something for sure. Uh, wow. <laughs> the incest scene is straight up a porno. Like, <laughs> it, it really is like the brother is like, why don't you be a model for me? Here, take that off. And she's like, okay. And just takes off. She's just sitting no. there naked talking to her brother. And it's like, yeah, this isn't normal brother-sister interaction. This is not how that works. Anyway. So you also watched something else that was somebody's porn is what you're telling me. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Everything you watch is somebody's porn, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, worth <laughs> men- worth mentioning that on Friday we did indeed watch pieces, and uh, it was a blast. Yes, did everybody have a good time on the old dead and lovely stream and chat? Yeah, I think so. I think so. We had we had a, a big turnout, and it was fun. And <laughs> it's pieces. I mean, <laughs> that's right. It was it was awesome because a lot of people uh, in the chat had not seen it, so oh, man. it was good to get the reactions at the specific scenes where it's like, wait, what? Kung Fu Professor? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> dude, that's the value of that movie. Honestly, like, I don't want to watch it by myself again, but no. I do want to watch it with people that have no idea what they're yep. getting into. You it's know, it's the best. It's the best because yep. you you no idea where it's going. Yeah, and of course you guys watched that due to our recent appearance on the Neon Brainiacs podcast in which we joined Ben and Greg and did a deep dive, very body review (laughs) on pieces. So (laughs) be sure to give their podcast a listen, follow them on Instagram and stuff, and tell them that we sent you. Steve, we also got a little shout out recently over on the Werewolf Ambulance podcast. Oh, seriously? Yeah, they covered Psycho Goreman. Oh, man. uh, Yeah, I saw that. I saw that posted that they they were covering it i was like oh man that's awesome they shouted this out yeah totally man i had messaged uh one of their hosts alan after i watched psycho gorman and i was like dude please tell me you've watched this movie (laughs) he hadn't so yeah watched it loved it and uh, they did an episode on it so thanks very much for the shout out werewolf ambulance also a great show be sure to give them a listen i meant to ask you too um and don't get at all spoiler or anything like that okay you finished wandavision right yes Okay, am I prepared for what I'm about to see? Because I just keep seeing vague posts from people being like, okay, this kind of changes everything. <laughs> yeah, it's oh, awesome, dude. I, it, I loved it. Um, here's the thing. Okay, so WandaVision, I, I won't spoil anything for you because we're going to be talking about it on uh, our Patreon-exclusive uh, podcast podcast. Uh, what is it? Fuck. What are we calling TV it? test pilots. That's it. TV <laughs> test pilots. Um, uh, we're going to be talking about the first episode, uh, but WandaVision was playing out in a way that Marvel had never played out a story. And that was, it wasn't a bunch of uh, people fighting and like mm. shooting lasers at each other and stuff. Maybe that's why some people didn't like it. Yeah. Cause I saw some people that were just like, Ugh. and that's why some people didn't like it. Yeah. I won't say anything. Okay. I won't say anything, but I think it played out exactly how I wanted it to play out. Like knowing the comic book stories and knowing the things that I expected from certain characters, um, it all played out exactly how I 
would want it to. Okay, color me intrigue. Yeah, but uh, some people did not love the last two episodes who did like the season up to that point. So okay, it, it, it's a little bit divisive. But yes, a, a ton of uh, insane, awesome shit happens that is, is definitely going to be a part of Doctor Strange because Elizabeth Ooh. Olsen immediately after filming WandaVision went to go start filming Doctor Strange with Sam Raimi directing. Oh my god, man. Say it say it slower and softer. <laughs> this is my love language right now, man. Sam Raimi directing and Danny Elfman scoring. Oh my god. Oh, oh closer. Go, yeah. Keep going. Oh. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm excited. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, yeah it, me too, man. It could get it could get real fun. But again, you know, people that don't love Marvel movies, yeah, whatever. I get it. Go to hell, I guess. <laughs> well, Steve, I'll tell you what. All this chatting that we've been doing, we've been chatting for almost a half an hour already. Truth. It's getting me parched. I need something Ooh, to buddy. wet my whistle. My whistle, it's a bone dry. So you know what I just popped open here? What'd you popped open here? I popped open a cold beer. <laughs> I'm going to pop open a spicy water. That's right. Ooh, Ooh caliente. <laughs> a Kroger seltzer water. Delicioso. You know, I've kind of been enjoying a, a late night spicy water tinted with just a little bit of juice, like a little bit of cranberry juice or lemonade oh, yeah, or just solid. whatever I have. Mm-hmm. Just a little bit. Like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know like any adult that could drink a glass of juice. It's just sugar water. Jesus. Ooh, I can't remember the last time I had a glass of juice. Right. Yeah. But, you know, you have like a little bit like an ounce or two in a seltzer and it's a delight. It gives it some real fruit flavor. Yeah, I used to I used to do that with um get the just like pure cranberry juice that's not sweetened yep. at all. Yep. Oh man. That's some tart stuff right there. Tort. You're only you're only dropping a little bit in there, so it's not like you're just getting that full tartness, but it gives a nice like cuz I like sour stuff. It gives a nice like it's like almost like you're drinking some sour drink you would have drank in the 90s as a kid like yeah but with way less sugar and stuff and good for him kidneys too absolutely sure good good thing as we live in like the hard water capital of fucking planet earth (laughs) yes i think we have harder water than like the mines of moria here in east tennessee (laughs) just full of minerals we're metal people down here i bet those dwarves down there were getting kidney stones left and right don't you think yeah absolutely gotta be right <laughs> all the sulfur and stuff oh man yeah well this co-beer i just opened up is a trappist rocafort eight it is a belgian beer all the mm. way from belgium oh it made it here huh it made it all the way just for me just to land in my Aww. glass I know. It's a long way, and it's just going to go straight into my toilet afterwards, but I'm glad that it made it, because it is a 9.2% lovely Belgian beer. Um, it's been a long time since I've had the Roquefort 8. The Roquefort, I believe it's the 10, is the one with like the blue label on it. Okay. Might be my favorite Belgian beer on the planet Earth. It's absolutely ridiculously fantastic. Have you ever had that one? Uh, No. I don't think so. Oh, man. I need to get us one because I think that you'd really enjoy it. I would absolutely, absolutely love to try it. If, if it's uh, the best Belgian beer out there, give it to me. I Put think it that it me. is. And the thing is, is like that even includes the, the fabled uh, West Vleteren 12, 
which I've also had. That's like widely proclaimed as like the best beer in the world for a couple of years. And a friend of mine actually got like a case of it and kind of distributed it amongst his buddies. And we all had it. And we actually all agreed the Trap Stroke for 10 is probably better. The West Veteran's really good. Don't get me wrong. It's really, really, really good. But I mean, in terms of the flavor and the availability and price, I like the Rogue for 10 just as good. Let's see what the 8 does. Tell me about Ooh, it. It smells lovely. It's got a nice, lovely, spicy, fruity aroma coming from a nice, dark, opaque, brown, liquidy beer. Let's just see what it does to my taste buds, Steve. Tell me all about it. I'll tell you what. Tell me. Tell me. I must know. That dropped a bomb on me. Oh, yeah? It's really good. This one is definitely less spice-forward. Okay. Then a lot of Belgians. I had a Belgian on the show, I think last week too. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah. And uh, this one is definitely less like less of that coriander and spice kind of flavor to it. This is more of that. You know, there's a there's a flavor I get in a lot of Belgians that I think is kind of raisiny. Like it kind of tastes right. like raisins, kind of grapey. You know. Uh huh. It's got quite a lot of that going to it. A nice boozy back end, but it's not just like blow your face off hot tasting or anything. I mean, 9.2 is pretty fucking high. Yeah. Yeah, it is. But this is real, real good. So I definitely enjoy that one. Now, Steve, this movie, we need to talk about Kevin. We need to talk about it. It's one that whenever my wife and I saw it in the theater back in the days of the theater, Back in the days of the theater. Back before the, the, the theaters theater. were shuttered. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. We watched this movie and we were like, you know what sounds great? Not having kids. <laughs> because really, if you're thinking about having kids and you're kind of on the fence about it, like maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't. Maybe you watch this movie. Maybe and you watch maybe, this movie. Maybe, yeah. maybe it makes you decide not to. Um, I'll say if you're if you're expecting child, or maybe you and your partner are trying to procreate and have a child of your own, maybe don't watch this movie. Yeah, I don't know. yeah. I wouldn't. I would not recommend it. No, not uh, not if you were pregnant. Not if you were thinking of becoming pregnant. Not if you had recently had a child. Not the time to be letting these ideas creep into your head because uh, it's definitely scary. There, there's definitely a lot of worry out there anytime yeah. you invite a new life into your home. I think so. Steve, whenever you watch this movie, did it make you say, I want a baby? <laughs> it made me say the opposite of that, Ben. You <laughs> said, I don't want no baby. I don't want no babies, I said to yeah. myself, because, boy, that's scary. That's actually not what I said to myself after watching it. Uh, it was uh, it was mostly um, just a lot of sobbing. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> why? Mostly that. <laughs> <laughs> there weren't a whole lot of questions or answers other than just why. Yeah, and you're kind of you're doing like the big heaving, like shoulders coming up, sob, and you're going, yeah. no, no, baby, no, baby. <laughs> Yeah, I will say that this uh, this movie has a, a contraceptive effect. I'll tell you that. I think they could show this in school sex ed programs or abstinence-only <laughs> programs. There wouldn't be no kids fucking afterwards, or they'd be very safe about it if they did. Absolutely. I'll tell you that. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it, it's probably no coincidence that kids these days are having less sex and having babies later. 
Really? I mean, this movie's been out for nine years, and the book came out in 2003, so at least mm. some 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 nerds already knew about not, ha- not wanting to have a Kevin. Yeah, that's a good point. They, were, they watched this movie, and they were like, ew, sex is not for me. <laughs> they said it that way. <laughs> sex is best <laughs> when it's alone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man, you might be right. There might be a connection right there. I hadn't thought about it that way, but you may be on to something. And Steve, watching it again was just such a reminder for myself of a lot of the reasons why I should not be a parent. Right. Because I ain't got no kids. You ain't got no kids. Maybe before we review this movie, maybe we just step on into the preview palace. Hey, uh, listen, pal. Just going to tell you right now uh as we're walking into the preview palace that uh, you're not welcome here you're oh, a child no get out i Go. gotta leave i can't be here you in the can't preview be here. palace no you know no children allowed in this preview palace actually no you know kids what allowed you know what you hang out you hang out you're cool this kid's cool he's got I'm a bow cool. and arrow he's fine this uh-huh, kid's all right let's have fun Wee. <laughs> Welcome to the preview it's kind of palace. A weird, weird <laughs> entry into the preview palace, but Way I'll weird. go with it. Some, I may some just cut it. Role play. <laughs> <laughs> Where we're gonna talk about the reasons why we ain't got no kids. Now, Steve, I believe that you and your better half have talked about maybe having a kid eventually, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, we have. Boy, the situation would just have to be right. We both um, both just don't uh, feel like we could afford to have a kid. I know that is... The money thing, yeah. Yeah, the money thing, man. That's one of those deals that, that was kind of on my list when I was thinking about what would make it so tough um, that's, to, to that's raise a child. numero uno, I would Oof. say, because, like, you know, it, we struggle to pay our own bills right now and a a child is a bill an every single day bill that is due every single day and you can't (laughs) you can't not feed your child you can't not provide them with uh clothing and things like that and uh financially that that is hard that's a real tough one so yeah that's one of our reasons Currently. I get that entirely, man. And it's the kind of thing, man, where, you know, especially as a full-time musician, aspiring YouTuber guy, I don't think it's any shock for me to tell people we struggled with money for a very fucking long time. Yeah. And um, it's really only, honestly, within the past year or two that we've gotten pretty financially stable and through Kate's work has good insurance and stuff like that. We lived, you know, all the way through our twenties and into our early thirties, not having insurance, you know, just yeah. not going to doctors, hoping yeah. that you don't get sick because that's what you do in America. It's really only within recent time that we've gotten financially and again healthcare comfy. And honestly, like the only reason we've been able to do that is because since I haven't had kids running around here, I've been able to work like a maniac twenty four seven. And so really whenever I think back about how, you know, our parents had us when they were in their twenties, in my case my mom had me when she was thirty. 
I mean, I would have had to put everything on hold. There's no way that I would be out touring and stuff like that. Yeah. With uh, with a baby at home making, yeah, making no Kate take way. care of that kid on her own. There's no fucking way. And if I hadn't been able to do those things, I never would have become a little bit more financially comfy. And, dude, that's that's one of those things that, man, parents just don't understand. Honestly, boomers just don't fucking understand. Well, yeah, things have changed. Yeah. Lot, well, they're, they're like, well, I didn't even go to college, and I was able to raise two kids and have two cars and take vacations every year. <laughs> not exactly how that works anymore. No, it does not fucking work that way anymore. It costs a lot of fucking money, and yep. most of us in our friends group, in our age group and stuff like that, don't have the money to do it. It's yeah. fucking expensive, man. It's very expensive. It is very, very expensive. Um, Oof. I like because uh, Emily is currently in school. Actually, she's she's been accepted to the University of Tennessee nursing program. Woo. So she's about woop, woop. to finish at, at community college. She'll be Ass. making more money then. And and we've had insurance. I really can't imagine how you would have a child without insurance. Like, I, oh yeah, that bill just to give birth to a child here in America is outrageous. Yep, yep. I cannot it's absolutely imagine. Nuts. Yeah, I know, so man. I know. Him. Yeah, that that that's a that's a big determining factor for us. How about for you, Ben? Man, I'll tell you what. Most of my issues for why I don't want kids are all me problems. It's not all like stuff that is just like. You guys don't understand. Children are the number one source of pollution on the planet. We shouldn't do that. Honestly, most of mine are because I am just a a selfish little prick. Like, I'm just a fucking asshole, and I don't need to bring anybody else around this. Because there's this thing that I do every day, Steve, that I cannot do without, and I am openly admitting that anybody that has a kid is just a stronger person than me. Because I have to sleep every fucking day yeah me too a lot yeah i me have too. to and dude our, our you know fr- friends that have kids they don't tell us stories about how they don't and it's just like yeah we were up every two hours <laughs> taking care of the baby and stuff and i'm like i literally couldn't do it like i am such a fucking baby because of the way i've lived my life that if i don't sleep i am worthless i really am and i know that there's a lot of people that are listening to this going Oh, if it was for your kid, you could do it, blah, blah, blah. I couldn't. I absolutely couldn't. That's just, I'm just going to tell you, I'm weak like that. I have to fucking sleep. They're they're correct. If it was for your kid, you could, but it's a choice, right? (laughs) It's a choice you make. If you're choosing, I don't want to do that. Like, and I'm with you on that. Like, I'm the same. I'm pretty selfish with my time. I don't yeah. like I, I don't even immediately answer texts like I'll take my time with it because I, I want to do certain things and my brain works a certain way and if if it gets like off if my schedule gets fucked up uh it's real hard like it can derail me for for a week um I cannot imagine I just can't imagine having to deal with that lack of sleep i know man and like having to you know deal with everyday issues that come up with children oh yeah it's a lot of work and like parents that do it are badasses i don't know how they do it yeah i'm i'm with you right there man totally badasses because 
the closest that we've ever come to that is like whenever we got you know Zora as a puppy and uh-huh. we would have to be up several times during the night to let the puppy out and then you know puppies just don't fucking sleep through the night they piss everywhere they shit everywhere like that's the closest I've come to having a baby and that was only I mean what maybe a two or three month period before they're right, really yeah. pretty well dogs grow up stuff. pretty quick <laughs> yeah and that was bad enough you want me to do that for years with a human life yeah I think maybe Ugh. this this preview palace isn't about why uh, we don't want to have kids, but more about why parents are fucking badasses. Yeah, that might be it. Yeah, <laughs> just An alternate perspective. How the hell? I don't even know, man. I just think about like because you, as you were saying about the selfish stuff, like like uh, I I cannot imagine just having to give up doing whatever I want most of the time. I know, man. I, I mean, know. I, it's not like all. It's not like you get, you get a ton of free time as an adult, anyway. Right? <laughs> I just don't know. I can't imagine giving uh, that little bit of free time completely up and uh, piling it on top of everything else you have to do in the day, anyway. Yeah, for sure, man. Yeah. So the sleep thing is definitely a huge factor for me. What else comes to mind for you, Steve? Well, uh, I was a shitty fucking kid. I sucked. Old shitty kid. I sucked as a kid. I cannot imagine. <laughs> what if you have a shitty kid? Like, uh, that, what like, if you just get a shitty one? I understand people will be like, oh, there's a million what ifs or whatever, but I have an anxiety disorder. So that's all I think about are the what ifs. And that, that scares the shit out of me. What if you have a shitty kid? What if that's true? You just don't like your kid. Yeah, it could happen, man. It could very well happen. It absolutely can happen. Well, and the thing about it is, too, and again, this is one of those things that I'm getting more perspective on as I watch my friends who are amazing parents and are way better than me for all the reasons I'm naming. Yeah. Um, as I'm watching them have kids because I'm like, at one point, it's just a guarantee. Your awesome, sweet kid that loves you, that you love right now, will become a petulant fucking teenager it Probably. will happen yeah it is part of the natural process it's just part of them trying to leave the nest and stuff yeah and man i watch our friends that are out with their kids and like they have to bring like basically a a mobile campsite worth of equipment for the baby <laughs> right. they're out hanging out and the kid like shits all over them and the people <laughs> and then as soon as they clean it up it does it again and you know, I'm watching this, and you know, our <laughs> friends and stuff don't mind at all. They're totally cool with it. And I'm thinking to myself, if this was me, and then later on, that same kid had the audacity to become a teenager and talk shit to me, I would actually murder them. I would actually murder them. Okay, I don't have any of those <laughs> same problems you just had. Uh, ben, are you, you having nightmares about children? No. Where in the uh-huh. hell are kids just shitting on their parents and the people around them? Man, little kids be having some blowouts, <laughs> like babies and stuff, man. Sure, I, yes, I'm aware. I've changed a ton of diapers. I. <laughs> <laughs> you have a nightmarish vision of children that uh, I definitely understand uh, uh, never never wanting to have kids. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's yeah. why you see him, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm more thinking of uh, just um, 
yeah you're right like the more petulant teenage years because like yeah i i look at a baby and it's like it's a baby like whatever a baby does is a baby like yeah they're gonna do their thing and uh toddlers the same to t- children all, all the way up uh, to adulthood i'm 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 still thinking like th- this this person needs help in life uh but teenagers are the hardest to actually want to help a lot of the time because what you said they're becoming their own person and figuring out how to do that and it's not easy to be a person so yeah it's it's hard to deal with with those those times i i can't imagine being uh, as upset <laughs> about the shit from the infancy <laughs> <laughs> when they're a teenager but i i can't imagine for sure being like i gave up so much to get you this far and you're yeah. just being shitty to me come on yeah i fed you every meal you've ever eaten yeah. you fucking shitty kid <laughs> and you you're gonna be a everyone <laughs> you shit on everybody that would be me like if i was raising a teenager that was being a fucking pest yeah that would be me you shit on everybody <laughs> you shit on my friends i will not take this attitude from you <laughs> i'd be terrible dude i don't know about you but like i have people tell me all the time you'd be a great dad you'd be great with kids i wouldn't i would not steve i think you would i think that you're good i've seen you with kids you're great yeah i would it's yeah it is just a personal choice for me it's not about um i, I love being around kids kids are fun but i also love doing my own thing i love other people's kids because That's me yeah yeah i like, love my ne- ne- nephews and nieces yeah, and all my these nieces, kids that are my nephews, family they're so fun because i see them for a limited amount of time and then they go home exactly man exactly it's like a rental it's like i don't really yes. want to own it but yes. i'll rent nba jam again I will d- sure i will definitely 100 percent like uh you know throw your your children around and and uh, have a tea party with them or whatever but then like i'm gonna head out and not have yeah, to deal with go. bathing them and all the <laughs> like all the stuff that's actually hard the, that yeah. parents do so like when yeah when i think like yeah i could probably be a, a good dad it's like yeah it'd be fun i don't know like how good i would be at all the other stuff uh, because that's the stuff that's, ugh, it, it, that's the day to day. Like, oh, like you're really dedicated to this. You're really, really, actually good with kids because you do the stuff that matters. Oh yeah, that's yeah. That's that's one of the things that's hard for me. Imagining know, actually man. having to do the tough stuff. And I can tell you, I would I would be fucking terrible at it. Like yeah, it's one of those that, things, man, be. that. You know, I think it's important for people like myself to realize that just due to the way I operate, I am not really suitable to raise kids because if I'm in the zone and I'm working on something, like if I'm in the middle of working on, you know, recording something or whatever, I'm just in the zone, I'm doing my thing. Even if you interrupt me with something that is like my favorite thing ever, where it's just like, oh, hey, here's a huge plate of sushi and some incredible whiskey for you. Uh huh. I'm just gonna be like, damn it, I'm working. <laughs> like I suck. I'm awful about it, man. It's like, it's how I get so much stuff done. I'm the same way though. I, I oh, get it. Man. Yeah, I yeah. don't like to be interrupted at all. And that, that you cannot be that way with children. You have no. to be on. 
all the time. And again, this is me saying this is a flaw in my character. Yeah, exactly. Very immature that way, which <laughs> yes. is why, and I realize it, and that's why I don't want to have kids and yeah. other people that are able to to do that. I mean, I know tons of musicians that work their asses off and have kids that are apparently just better at turning on and off than me. So I admire that in people. I don't have that skill. I think that, yeah, that that is just something I, I am not capable of doing well is is switching from one thing to another. And I, I yeah, I'm the same way. It's it, you could. Yeah, you could come in with a, a case of delicious beer and, and a, a whole bunch of weed and be like, dude, we're having a party. And it'd be like, All right, well, cool. But like, I'm got to finish this. This has it to happen. Wait. Yeah. Like. <laughs> I'm going to be doing this right now, and then I guess I'll come to your party that you're having at my house. <laughs> right? Yeah, I, I could just see myself, like, if I had kids running around being real, real dickish to them. And, yeah, uh, well, I could. that's the thing, that's is I cool. would have to, like, like, because, like, even with my dog, my dog will want to go out or something. I, like, I have to immediately switch my mode because I'm like, that's my dog. So I have yeah. to like give it a second. Like she'll be like at my my leg, just like scratching at my leg, and then I'll just like pause for a second and like remind myself like I love my dog. I have to deal with this right now. I can stop editing, so I can e easily turn to what do you need, baby? Instead yeah. of like oh fucking <laughs> dog, you know. Um, That's more my reaction. I'm terrible. I'm awful. <laughs> but I get it. it it's like. It's such it's a, a it's a work. It's like you you have to actually like really put yourself into that mindset. And again, don't know how parents do it, but they fucking do it. Yeah, dude. And I admire the shit out of our parents for not murdering us. Like really, like, <laughs> I don't know how my mom didn't murder me. I one hundred percent like I I some of the stuff in this movie uh, reminds me a little of myself as a kid. A little. Yeah. Not a lot of it. Not any of the absolutely terrible stuff, but some of the stuff of just like malicious intent because you're mad at your parent. Oh yeah, yeah. Because you know you know how to cut them to the fucking yeah, core. Like exactly. kids can be evil because yeah. they know how to push your buttons. Yeah, and that I, that scares me too. That definitely yeah. is like. But like, I think I might be better because like my mom was not equipped to communicate well like my right. my mom's family is like they they definitely communicate with each other but it's it's loud and uh, uh a lot of anger uh before <laughs> everything gets resolved it's it's not a clear communicating type type of family so uh i think i would be a little bit better at it but i it's still that like uh the moment that your your child really cuts you like really deeply has to be painful. It has to be real right? hard. Yeah. Yeah. That's got to be brutal, man. And dude, it's just, it's such a different world than when we were kids that that's one of those things that, that blows my mind, dude, is like, if you think about when our parents raised us in the eighties versus when they were kids, yeah, sure. Things were different. There's a color TV in every house. There's video games. The music has changed. But the difference of when we were kids in the 80s and 90s to now there's six-year-olds with smartphones. Sure, yeah. It's just so dramatically different. Yeah, their like, world experience is even, different. 
yeah, how do you even pretend to know how to navigate that? That's the incredible bravery that I'm seeing in all of our friends that are having kids. And I'm like, damn. Yeah. You guys got it going on because well, I don't have the out. guts to yeah. do that, man. Yeah. that That's an, I mean, I think, though, uh, again, I think I understand that. I'm on my phone all the time. I think I'd understand my child even better if they were on their phone all the time. I'd be like, yeah, no, I get it. You seen this meme? That's <laughs> yeah, pretty funny, cool. right? Funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, it is. It's a whole different world to navigate. And that's that's how it always is, right? You have a kid and you think you know the world they're in. And it's it's always you're detached from it. You're you're not as close as you think you are. Even if you're young when you have your kid, you're always going to be slightly detached. You're never going to fully understand and then there's always going to be some like communication issues and and it, it takes a lot it's going to it takes a lot to really learn to communicate and care and uh it is just exhausting sounding as i talk about it <laughs> yeah i was going to say sounds exhausting at the end of the day and i think i'd rather just play some guitar and stay up late every night honestly i do, I do love that i if i'm just like Boy, uh, I I got all this work right now, but I just kind of want to go play Xbox. I can go do that. It's nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's nice to be able <laughs> to put off responsibilities it, because your responsibility is not uh, a living being. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. And don't get me wrong, I'm not at all trying to tear down anybody or tell anybody that they oh, made the wrong not. choice by having kids. Not that at all, man. Like I see people like, man. My nieces have brought so much fucking love and light and laughter into my brother's life, man. Like they, they totally remade my brother's life. That's awesome. Yeah, my my brother is a surprisingly great dad. That is like yeah. one of those things that the same with him, where it's just like, oh, they really like got his life together, or at yeah. least like that that responsibility, that daily everyday need, made him a better person. Totally, man. Yeah, like there's a lot of people that I know that it absolutely did make them a better person to have kids. And there's just so many other people that I know who it just seems like their life started when they really had kids. Yeah. And that's wonderful. I'm that's so awesome. happy for you. Uh, I just know that I would probably just become a, a grumpy dick if I had him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is my major worry. Yep, same here. <laughs> All right, Steve, we are here today to talk about we need to talk about kevin which is a movie film that came out in 20 and 11 when is the first time you seen this pellicula um whenever it came out um on uh, on the, the vidya i don't remember how long it was after it was in theaters because it was i remember it was at downtown west Yep, that's so where we saw it too. Didn't have Cinema like, Art Theater. Yeah, it didn't have like huge distribution, but uh, watched it soon after because I remember you talking about it and I heard, you know, just a lot about it from, from other people. And uh, yeah, it, it devastated me the first yeah. time I watched it and the <laughs> more recent times I've watched it. It is, it's a devastating film. It really is, man. I feel like it's definitely drawing some influence from like let's say the omen rosemary's baby um the good son 
But at the same time, it never feels like it is aping those movies and no. just imitating them and doing the same thing. Like, this is one of those flicks that I'm like, I really don't know what I could compare this to. It's a very unique flick because unlike those movies, it's not just going for like straight up, like shocking, dark, like, ooh, evil kid, look at this, oh, he's creepy. It's not really doing that. It's doing it in a much more artsy, um, subjective way. But at the same time, it's not artsy for the sake of just being artsy and using lens flare and out of focus stuff. Like it's a beautiful, gorgeous movie whose narrative is enhanced by that stuff. And I never feel like the artsiness, the, um, you know, independent film nature of it gets in the way. It never feels pretentious or, you know, artsy or obtuse for the sake of being that way. No, I agree with that. I think, um, think that the, the narrative style of it, where we're sort of shifting back and forth between now and how we got to now is, you know, like that can be done really poorly. It can be done in a way where it's real hard to follow, but I never feel that way with this movie. It never feels like, oh, this is just overly complicated. It feels like you're shown each thing in the order that it kind of helps you to fully build an understanding of what's going on yeah. rather than just trying to tell a, a, a linear story because yeah it's like you're really getting into the headspace of uh, our main character Ava Ketchadorian played by Tilda Swinton and really like watching as this terrible relationship she has with her adult well not adult son but uh teenage son stems from a terrible relationship they've always had like the yeah. way that all plays out is so it's so awesome it, it really does help you like get more into the relationship instead of having a preconceived notion about why they seem to hate each other yeah, the timeline thing is something that I had forgotten about this movie in that it is told in an extremely out-of-sequence, jumbled way a la Pulp Fiction, where it's like what you're watching isn't necessarily the sequence of time as it linearly played out. I forgot that this movie was like that. And uh, like you said, it is really interesting the way that it does that, where like the first time that we see the little daughter, uh, Celia, she has this eye patch on, and then, like, one of the next scenes that we see her, she's not wearing the eye patch. So you're like, okay, so that took place after this because she has two eyes in this scene. Like, it's a lot of show, don't tell, which is, of yeah. course, something that, that we've said many times on the show we appreciate where you kind of have to fill in the blanks yourself and figure out, okay, so this is when she had her long hair, so that was in the past. Her medium-length hair was in the recent past. <laughs> it's just, like, all these little context things that... You have to put together without ever seeing a date on screen that says 2001. This scene is 2004. It never tells you, but it's done so well and edited so well that it never leaves you stranded. Yeah, yeah. The editing really shines in this for sure. Not that Dude. anything else is dull, but the editing brings it all together in a, a really amazing way. And I, I think that... Uh, you know, this is uh, this is directed by Lynn Ramsey, who I have not seen any of her other movies, though they are like award-winning and uh, yeah. they get you know a lot of critical 
acclaim uh, i haven't seen Ratcatcher. i have not seen you were never really here um i i am more interested in seeing them now that i've watched this critically like i enjoyed it the first time but like what really stuck with me was the devastation watching yeah. it for the podcast what stuck with me is the filmmaking and the acting and how it, the story is being told and how kind of perfect everything comes together yeah i agree with that man yeah i i gotta correct myself i have seen one of her other movies i've seen never really here okay never really there what's it called uh you were never really here that's the one i have seen that that's with Joaquin phoenix right yeah, the effect that it had on me was making me hate Joaquin Phoenix. <laughs> Dude, that movie, I'm telling you, it's kind of like, I guess you'd call it a fake documentary because the whole thing was him being in character, but they filmed it as though it was a documentary. It's very well made and very well put together, and obviously it did resonate with me on some yep, emotional level. it made level. you hate him, which yeah, is probably... Sure kind of the point since he was you know i remember seeing him do that interview on letterman was it yeah uh-huh yeah and being just an absolute asshole and hearing it was for a role and being like oh okay and then not watching the movie so that's the movie <laughs> and that's the effect it has okay yeah pretty much man not one that i would really recommend but not at all because of her her direction or anything like that i do want to watch those other flicks i, I watch some special features on the We Need to Talk About Kevin uh, Blu-ray that our friend Brandon Suttle, second mention of B-Suts on this show, uh, he let me borrow it, and I watched some interview stuff with those guys, and John C. Raleigh was just like blowing up about how much he loved that director's movies and how he really wanted to be in her flicks, so he just kind of hounded his agent to to find a place for him in one of her future movies, and that's, oh, that's how he really ended cool. up in this flick, yeah. So, yeah, it seems like she knows what she's doing, and... That is extremely clear whenever you watch this movie. I think that the the direction in this is basically faultless. Like I really yeah. honestly can't think of much anything that would make this better. Like in terms of like, oh, I would have showed it in sequence. Oh, I would have no. changed this or that or made it look different or changed the color palettes. Like I honestly can't think of much that she could have done better. And this is adapted from the book of the same title, which I have not read, but I am very interested to Me check too. out. Yeah, I, I read, I read a summary of it um, that uh, it it made me say that uh, without having read the full book, but reading a, pr- a pretty a pretty extensive summary, that this is a good adaptation. It seems, and that the things that they cut were smart choices like yeah yeah they're the scenes that they seem to have cut that were in the book that didn't make it aren't really necessary and i mean they're necessary i assume they they really help you get deeper into the characters in the novel but for a movie that's already two hours it would have definitely made it would have definitely been a drag if they had included any more than they did Right. I get that, man. I watched a an interview with the writer of the book, the author of the book, I should uh-huh. say, who's... Yeah, Lionel na- Shriver. Name escapes me. Yeah, there you go. There you yeah. go. Yeah, she's and, from North Kakalaka. Oh, there you go, man. And she said that she wrote the book whenever she was around her 40s and, you know, really taking a look in the mirror and reconsidering this notion that she held her whole life. She said she was eight years old that she never wanted to become a mother. 
And she's like, you know, I'm, I'm approaching my my 40s and stuff. I should really re-examine that and make sure that this is the right choice. And this was apparently during the time of Columbine and a lot of other school shootings yeah. and stuff. And uh, she wrote this book kind of in response to her introspective feelings that she was having and things that she was seeing in the world. And this is what she came up with. I think the verdict is she doesn't want to have kids, and I don't think she ever did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I and I absolutely understand that. I mean, we're two uh, white men giving our very rare opinion on a podcast uh, <laughs> As talking you know, about you don't get not often. wanting to have children. And <laughs> for us, it's all the stuff that comes after. Uh, for a woman, having a child is all of it. Like, yeah, for real, right? The yeah. entirety of it. So, and I'll totally, I, I totally want to like disclaimer this whole thing at the front of this and say, uh, as I'm sure we've already offended a bunch of people already, but I just still <laughs> just want to point it out. <laughs> we not. don't have kids. We've never had kids. We're dudes. We're never going to be pregnant. We don't know anything about that world. No. Um, also, I, know I don't scary. know. Yes, it seems absolutely terrifying to me, and every person who has carried a, a child is a braver person than I am. Oh, yes. And also, too, like I'm sure we're going to get into talking about postpartum depression and stuff like that, yeah. which is a, a subject that we are not experts on, no. so we might be completely wrong about everything that we're saying, and if we are, please let us know over on like the Facebook group or something. School us. Yeah, I, I, another way of putting that is just if you want to share your experience, Please do. Uh, yeah, that yeah. works. Yeah, because I, I don't think we'll be saying anything wrong about postpartum depression. It's just we we don't have the experience. Um, but yeah, this is. I mean this this is uh, the adaptation uh, from novel to movie. Basically, the one thing that I read that the the author was majorly worried about was how well the unreliable narrator element would translate to the film okay yes because in in film we we're trained to believe what we're being shown yeah so it's hard to it's hard to have an unreliable narrator and then when you do a lot of times people feel cheated by it because it's like well you showed me that i didn't like asshole i like how how was i supposed to know any better um, oh yeah, there, there's a lot of movies that just, you know, they have the big twist at the end and it feels like the director was just like, you believed me? You yeah. dummy! Yeah. So, how how do you do that well? I think the one way you do that well and the way Lynn Ramsey did it is by really never giving the full impression that either of the characters are right. When uh, in this case, Eva and, and Kevin. Yeah. Uh, we're never fully sure who's right. It's easy to say that, obviously, as the adult, she needs to work out her shit with the toddler. Like, she needs to figure it out. It's a toddler. Uh, but also, the movie kind of gives us a perspective of maybe this is just an evil child. Like, yeah. maybe, maybe this child really... Uh, isn't something of this world. This child is, is something that, that has just this evil inclination toward his mother. But then we're also, you know, given the possibility that it is that she's not communicating with Kevin 
It's that she's yeah. not interested in raising Kevin because we yeah. see her with Celia and she seems a lot happier, but also Celia gives her affection and Kevin doesn't. So like it really plays back and forth with this like who like who who is writing this? What is it that she she was never fully attached to being his mother and never really actually wanted to be there for him and he feels that and that's why he doesn't attach to her but does attach to his dad like that's kind of being played with but then also we're being shown him being just outrageously evil even as a child but there's a ton of ways to see how this may be him trying to communicate so it the movie does it 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 nails that unreliable narrator thing where we're not sure exactly how to feel but we feel bad for everyone yeah yeah that's the thing about this movie that it does so very masterfully to me is that it doesn't do the thing at the very end of the movie where it's like, hey, here's the twist. What you were watching wasn't really how things went down. Right. Nor does that hold you by the hand and say, maybe the narrator here and her memories were unreliable. It totally works either way yeah. to see this movie as, you know, she gave birth to a sociopath. Sometimes that just happens. Sometimes sociopaths, you know, live to become captains of industry or incredible athletes or artists right sometimes they end up killing a lot of people and being the worst part of humanity it happens this movie makes sense that way it does also this movie makes sense from the perspective of somebody that was you know in the uh in in her salad days traveling the world and going to tomato festivals and stuff got (laughs) pregnant before she was ready went through with having the kid um wasn't happy afterwards yeah, I assume struggle with postpartum depression and stuff. And what we're seeing in this movie are her memories, which maybe aren't exactly how things really went down. Maybe. Uh, and it works either way. And, and that's something about this movie too, man, that like the first time that I watched it, I think because I was just so blown away by the entire premise and the presentation, I was never really questioning, you know, are these out of out of timeline sequence uh, parts that we're seeing, are these really what happened are these her memories or is this a story that's showing me past and present altogether um this time though watching it and having watched the special features on the blu-ray and stuff yeah you got to tell me about these you were saying there's some more to the story they very casually were just talking about oh yeah whenever we were filming the parts of eva's memories we wanted to look like this and this and this that's the thing about this movie. This movie actually isn't like Pulp Fiction, where you're just getting like torn up pages from a book thrown up in the air and they land the order that they land in. Right. This movie, from my understanding of it and what I take away from it, is essentially just all taking place in present day. And yeah, anything and that she's you see that happens memories. in the past, yeah, it's just her memories that are haunting her. 24 7 in her life after this tragedy that she lived through yeah and yeah like i said in the special features they did explicitly call them her memories and whenever you think about it that way it starts to make some of the let's say more stylized things more obvious like obviously you know 
in the scenes of like the tomato festival and when she meets John C. Riley and stuff like it is this very like lens flary, like romantic hyper, um, hyper colorized kind of view. That's not super realistic. And then even in the flashback scenes of whenever they're raising the kids and Kevin and all his different stages and stuff like that. If you think about it, there's things in there that are just kind of weird. Like, okay, so like take for example the scenes in the movie where you know Kevin is still in diapers, definitely past the age where kids are usually still wearing diapers. There are, of course, exceptions for everything, but it's shown in the movie that he's very much doing it on purpose. Yes, there's a lot of scenes in there where he's he's not even wearing pants at all. Like he can walk, he can talk, he can do his own thing, but he walks around in no pants and a diaper, and that's not typically the thing but the thing that i think that they're trying to show us here is in her memory that's what she was remembering about it is like he was this age he was playing in 64 with his dad having a good time oh yeah and he was still wearing diapers at this point so because her memory is really stuck on that facet it's shown that he's wearing a shirt and diapers and no pants because that's what's sticking out in her memory okay does that make sense yeah, yeah. I it's mean, like she's remembering the bad. She's parts, remembering you know? the diaper part to it, not yeah. not uh, anything else. Yeah, yeah. She's remembering specifically the parts that that irritate her, and that even goes back to like the way that he's constantly playing with his food in various forms and stuff. He's like crunching the fruity pebbles. He's turning the bread into the little balls, like uh, squishing that sandwich. He's always making messes with his food and stuff. Yeah. And again, I wonder if that was really how it went or that is an exaggeration in her memory of her, you know, falsely narrating this movie for us, showing us all the irritating bad things that he was doing, or if that's really how it was. Yeah, I hadn't considered any unreliable narrator element until I I read that about the um, the author wanting that to be conveyed in in the, the movie. If you see it from the other perspective with without considering an unreliable narrator it really is just about an absolutely evil child and this poor woman who has to deal with him um but then when you throw in the unreliable narrator element it's like oh okay so what did happen did he just make a a big jelly sandwich and slam it down on the table or did she make him a jelly sandwich and he was sloppy with it exactly yeah yeah so that that element did change entirely the way i saw the movie and made uh, uh, tilda swinton's performance that much better to me because it's like oh she's playing all this out she she feels like she like she is remembering these things this way but then she also feels like she deserves all the bad shit that she's getting so she kind of is conveying that she doesn't believe her own memories of it but then replaying the memories over and over again that's brutal yeah it's that's really fucking brutal and and it's like she she's trying to figure out the narrative and figure out how this happened yeah and and the thing is that the one time she remembers him being close to her is when he's actually scared when he's like sick and he, he wants her to be there and to read him the story and 
that ends up kind of defining who he becomes and and whatnot and and then at the end when he's afraid to go to to actual prison uh they reconnect and it's like in the moments when he's actually fully afraid she if if we're to believe the unreliable narrator thing that's when she actually does show affection when she actually sees him afraid but when he's not afraid she's not showing him any affection and dude that's the thing about this movie that really keeps me wondering too even in those moments like you said whenever he was a little kid and he just wanted you know mom to read to him right was that manipulation and even at the very end of the movie whenever he was like all been manipulation yeah dude and at the end of the movie when she's like why did you do this and he's like i used to think that i knew now i'm not sure right is that still manipulation at that point just to basically draw her in enough to be like maybe there is hope no fuck you i still hate you like is this something that's going to continue on and on and on yeah it's it's just such a yeah And, and so like the the other side <laughs> we need to talk about Kevin um Ezra Miller let's just incredible yeah absolutely incredible everybody's awesome in this but fuck yeah yeah he, he's just so wonderful at being menacing and then uh, the kids that play him uh, younger also do an amazing job i'm that, telling you man what? holy uh, shit awesome. how did they get a baby to act evil i don't <laughs> understand man because like man either. the way the way that like all the different stages of Kevin, which, by the way, some of the most perfect casting ever. I yes. would absolutely believe you if you told me those were all Ezra Miller's like little yeah. brothers. They yep. look like the same person. It's they do. freaky. Um, but man, the way that they got the youngest stage of Kevin to do that, like it's almost that, that Kubrickian, like yeah, 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 yeah the kind of downward scowl. Under. Yeah. And Ezra Miller was talking about how. That was like a very intentional move that, you know, I, I think the ba- the really, really young Kevin did it first, just kind of this scowl, and then they adapted that to where that was part of the body language of every stage of Kevin. That's awesome. Was that same thing. Yeah, it's like they really played with uh, the body language and personality of him all through these different stages and how he was always this way. I mean, there, there's even obvious things they do, like having him wear the same shirts he did as a little kid, as an adult. Well, not yeah. an adult, but like a 15-year-old. Um, you know, and, and again, that might be faulty memory stuff. Like, maybe he wasn't wearing that ridiculous shirt with the uh, ketchup and hot dog on it. Maybe that's just what she always remembers Kevin as because she remembers Kevin as a kid. I think all mothers probably think of their boys as kids, you know? Well, you got... I mean, even at 15, it's like, yeah, they're taller, but, like, it's this like a second ago you weren't that tall (laughs) yeah a second ago you're wiping that kid's ass and he was wearing that shirt with the ketchup and the hot dog on it absolutely yeah keep him in that shirt no i i see that um yeah in 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 the book she says that he does it he dresses um in clothes that are too small to make everyone else uncomfortable but again there's that unreliable narrator thing yeah uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. You're right. Like, is she just remembering like, oh, he had, he had this when he was this age and, uh, you know, just putting it into a different time. Yeah. Cause like, 
everything is kind of jumbled yeah and you don't know what's right and what what's wrong but when when we talk from kevin's perspective it's possible let's just look at it from this perspective it's possible that kevin had a mom who didn't really care for him she expresses that from time to time uh that doesn't really listen to him doesn't really uh show affection toward him uh the only way he ever gets her attention is by doing creepy things so he does it so he gets her attention yeah acting out acting out and then he does this sort of final acting out that the robin hood association is i think kind of the crux of the the movie and that is um you know robin hood he steals from the rich and he gives to the poor so in the book kevin when he does has his uh um archery school shooting he chooses particular people who have like interests and things they love oh so kevin doesn't feel like he any attachment to anything he doesn't have passions and things um he wants to steal others passion because and this is one way of looking he has no feelings uh so the one way of looking at it is he he's a sociopath he he doesn't have feelings he's a sociopath isn't even used anymore i can't remember what it's called but uh that's one way of looking at it. The other way of looking at it is that the only way he's found of connecting with people is by being the pest that took away the things they love. Sure. Well, I mean, you, you even see that in fucking pets and stuff, man. If people don't take care of a dog, it'll get attention by pissing on the rug because it knows right. it'll get attention. Right. So, like, there, there's two ways this could have played out the way that she says that he was just always evil or the way in which sometimes she, her memories show that she was abusive and like mentally so and physically so to him um and that maybe some of the things she took as him being manipulative are her over exaggerations uh but again the movie constantly is reminding us that uh maybe we have to look at the perspective that that's what everyone is saying to her but no one is seeing what she's seeing so it continually switches you back and forth when you realize this unreliable narrator thing before that it really is just the saddest story about a woman who just she was a travel writer and she loved life and she gave birth to a sociopath who ruined everything for her. No doubt. And, and again, it totally works with either perspective. Yep. Like, I don't think that there's a better way to view the movie. And of course, that's like, that's what I love about movies like The Shining and stuff like that. There's all these theories about how to view that movie. And you can watch it with all these different perspectives. And it makes sense. And it's fun to rewatch it that way. So it's like, you could rewatch this movie as... Kevin wasn't that bad. His mom just never cared for him. Or you can watch this as, yeah, Kevin's a sociopath. Everything yeah. we're seeing on screen is how it really went down. Or even a blend of the two. Um, one thing about the Robin Hood deal that really just stuck out to me as especially brutal this time around is is just thinking that 
Kevin made that choice to commit this tragedy in this way, using a, a bow and arrow, which is something that he picked up from childhood, from when his mom, maybe even in that moment of manipulative tenderness on his part, read him this story that became his favorite book, that became this book that was in his room even as a teenager and stuff. And he chose to make that the weapon with which he committed this ultimate tragedy and killed, you know, uh, Eva's daughter and husband and all these other kids at school. Like, that is him saying, hey, remember that good memory you had of reading me this book? Fuck you. (laughs) This is what it led to. Like, it really makes me wonder if that was even a choice on his part just to forever taint any good memory she ever had. And that also then feeds back to the unreliable narrator element of, is it really likely that a child from a a time when they were a toddler chose this very specific thing just to dig at you? Or is it more likely that he wanted to kill people to get attention or whatever? Because he he definitely... He has this... um, apathy and nihilism that um you know you'll often hear from school shooters or seeing their manifestos that uh you know it, it it could be because of some mental illness but it also could be because they feel absolutely disconnected because of neglect and abuse uh so like there there's Every single way you could look at it, there are two, at least two ways to see it. And, and that like, that makes the ending work so perfectly well when they like totally. hug and stuff. Cause yeah. it's like, what does this mean? Like, is this a, like in one way of saying it, it's her coming to terms with, uh, every thing that he's done and realizing, you know, I, I still have to be his mother or whatever. And another way of looking at it is, it, is it him manipulating her into... Because, you know, they say he's probably going to get out of jail in a couple of years. Is he manipulating her so he can use her when he gets out? Like, Right, dude. Yeah, it's like just so he can stick the knife in again. And the thing that leads me to believe that that is the case is that he left her alive. Yeah. Why else would he leave her alive and not kill her if he didn't want just to continue tormenting her or just torment her a little bit longer so he can kill her later, like a fucking cat playing with a mouse or something like that? Like, why did he leave her alive if not for that reason? She was, in her memories, the object of his hatred. Or was he saving his family from her? Oh, my God, dude. Brutal. Fuck. There's (laughs) two ways to look at it. Like, he... Are are these the people? Like you know, he's he's got his dad and his sister. That he shows tons of affection to, and and if we're if we see it that he isn't evil and she is just pushing all this stuff on him and like you know saying he did this like every single possible evil thing. Um, is it possible that he was killing these two innocent people and killing these people? who love life uh, to save them from the realities and terrors of the world and to save his family from his mother. 
I mean, I think there's a better way to solve that problem, like moving. Absolutely. <laughs> no, I mean, it's not a good, I mean, it's not a good idea, but like when we're talking about his motivations, I, and I think that, like what this actually captures so well is that reaction we have to things like school shootings and family slayings where it's like, wait, so what was going on? Like, we have to know yeah. what was going on there. Oh, yeah. I remember, like, when the Menendez brothers you know, right. uh, case and stuff came out, it was just like, well, what was going on in that house? It's like, we, we just strive to understand. Same with the Columbine. It was like, okay, so why, how did this happen? Like, we, we've had those reactions for so long, and we've had so much time to process these things and think them through, and we still haven't come to an answer and the thing about that same topic that this movie does explore too that's also an area of interest anytime we do have some sort of tragedy like that but especially an area of interest whenever the person committing this tragedy is a young person um, it explores what it is like to be the parent of someone who does something awful what's it like to be Jeffrey Dahmer's mom or dad and live your everyday life Oh, and live gosh. in this town and see the faces of parents who your child killed. What the fuck is that like? And what kind of hell must that be to exist in? And what if the child was always that? Like, what yeah. if that was always there? Like, Ugh. yes. Yeah, it's all. Yeah, we're these are quite the movie just raises all the questions that we all had to process so many times. And this shows us the devastation and horror uh, that those terrible things bring about in such Absolutely. a way that it, you just, if you, if you at the end of this movie, aren't feeling crumbled by everything you just saw, it's like, what is something wrong with you? <laughs> yeah. You might be a sociopath. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, man. And, and too, like this movie puts its finger on, you know, among the most taboo things to turn into entertainment, which is, school shootings in America. And I will say that, you know, obviously this is a topic that nobody wants to fucking talk about, look at, see, reenact anything. Um, This movie, I don't think does it in any sort of glamorizing way. Like I remember people talking about, what was it? The basketball diaries and stuff that sort of inspired. Yeah. He's fantasizing about coming in and shooting people with a shotgun, which he's wearing a a, trench coat coat when he does it. Yeah. And, they think it had some inspiration to Columbine, yeah. Yeah, and this movie never even shows Kevin like arrow anybody. You see some of the after aftermath of people being rolled out in stretchers and stuff, but like you never even really see kids in hallways getting yeah. mowed down, which would just be too personal and too brutal to put on screen. There's too many people in America that have dealt with this shit, and I think that it's really an interesting move that this didn't turn into a gun movie. Yeah, uh, well, I think again you have to really think where you want your emotional core to be in something like this and by avoiding showing the actual like murders and by avoiding using a gun you uh narrow the talk about the story the story is not about gun violence. The story no. is not about showing violence. The story is, is about the devastation of violence. 
the story yeah. is about the aftermath of violence. I think you're right because if this would have been a movie where he goes into the school and shoots it up with a gun, I think that the talk would have turned into gun rights and not yeah the psychology of a child, sociopaths, the responsibility, nature versus nurture. Like that's not the talk that we would be having about this movie if it was done with a different weapon, which is so fucking sad and pathetic that we're having that talk in the middle of this, but well, yeah, that is how it would have <laughs> turned out. It's a reality. Out. It's yeah, unfortunate. So yeah, um, I think that uh, I I don't want uh, because we've talked so much about this unreliable narrator element. I don't want to overlook the human element of Ava Cachadorian, no matter how accurate or inaccurate her um memory is of raising Kevin no matter uh, whether she liked her child or not. She's a human being who loved life and that was taken from her and then taken from her more and then the possibility of enjoying life entirely was removed. And the scenes with her, like, where that guy kind of flirts with her and she's, like, happy-ish... And then, like, he asks to dance with her, and she she doesn't want to dance. And then he is an absolute fucking cockhole to her. Oh, my God, dude. Awful. That's devastating. Just devastating to watch someone have to go through that. And the people, like, that woman who just walks up and punches her. Punches her. Yeah. Like, what if she didn't do anything wrong? I know. Yeah. What what is this? and, And, like we're shown uh two different perspectives of her like coming out of the um courtroom the day that kevin was like found guilty and in one perspective she's like devastated and having to be carried down and another she's like talking about how she wants like just sell the house or whatever like she seems like much more flippant yeah, see, that's that's something i really noticed this time through too as i was like that seems different than the first time that we saw this scene the perspectives are there, but then also how flippin' isn't like to think about it. Like how you, your son that you always didn't really feel connected to killed your husband and your daughter that you loved. Like how devastated is she supposed to be that he's found guilty? Like how, right. what is she supposed to feel? Yeah, so, yeah. Whose side are, are you supposed to be on in this case? Yeah. I, I So, like, I love that it does that. I love that it gives us various perspectives and, and like, gives that twist of, like, w- you know, what can we trust? What is right? Uh, but I, I also think that throughout, I still connect to both characters a lot. <laughs> like, yeah, I uh, get that, man. So much of, like, like Kevin not being able to communicate what he wants to his mom reminded me of myself, as I said earlier in the preview palace, sure. uh, reminded my, myself a lot at times. And I remember being frustrated that my mom didn't understand me, mm-hmm. uh, and, and wanting her to feel that frustration. So you push your buttons and so you push, push them the edge. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Because you're trying to communicate. This is how you make me feel. This is like, but you don't know how to, and 
as I said, my mom didn't really know how to communicate very well when we were little. She's a lot better at it now, but uh, it, it, I can understand his perspective and I can understand if that was how she was all the time and she didn't realize that she's the problem and constantly is blaming him for all everything bad that happens in her life and seeing like ways that everything he does is somehow manipulative yeah or irritating or mean yeah exactly i can absolutely see because like when we see him uh the day of the the shooting he's extremely nervous like he's really worried and stuff and it's like sometimes when she remembers him he's this super cocky kid and sometimes he's really vulnerable and it's like which one of these is right which one of these is real what was he pushed to the brink by an uncaring parent or was he always just this terrible terrible individual you really get into both of their psychologies and I I don't know. I, it's still hard for me. I still feel more uh, for, I guess, the child because I always assume that the child can't exactly be wrong in the situation. Like, mm-hmm. I just don't believe fully evil children are, are common enough, but it's a story. So a story about an evil child absolutely is believable. It's just like, I'm always a little bit more likely to be like, this has to have been something done to the child rather than the child just being naturally evil. Right. And again, that sort of ambiguity is something that drives this movie in in a lot of ways, like I said, with the narrative and then also with the fact that it's never at all conclusive about nature versus nurture. Right. What caused this to happen? Like, it's never at all telling you outright no this is how it is and i think that that's definitely one of its strong suits and you know really regardless of what led to the things that kevin did there is always going to be a little bit of responsibility on tilda swinton's shoulders in that they never really did the thing that the movie is titled they never really talked about kevin right like they they never really had a serious talk about like hey have you noticed something is kind of fucked up with this kid? Like at one point, John C. Riley is just like, you're always blaming him for stuff, blah, blah, blah. And he just kind of walks off. Yeah. Um, which again, this might be, this might be memory problems. I don't know. But like this whole situation, which you and I have talked about um, many times, this movie is very uncomfortable for us because we, we know a few potential Kevins. Sure. And <laughs> their parents are also not talking about them. And yeah. that is, extremely worrisome and i think that that's the thing is like at the end of the day they need to talk about kevin they need to talk about Dahmer. they need to talk about gacy like in all these cases where a young person commits some absolutely horrible thing most of the time when you look back there were warning signs and they weren't addressed just as they were not addressed in this movie well yeah because john c Riley, franklin uh constantly pulls the boys will be boys this is yeah. uh, oh hey buddy yeah there is at the heart of this uh a an absolutely like if you see it as Kevin as evil there is a way then that this is about uh 
how the boys will be boys mentality and how boys being raised in a way in which their mothers are being disrespected and their mothers like uh their mother's version of events are being constantly denied by the father yeah. and discredited the boys raised in this are never going to learn to function in society correctly and you know speaking of the warning signs and stuff this is also one of those deals that became all the more transparent to me that you know the reason why all the flashbacks are out of order and a lot of them just kind of start and end kind of abruptly. Then we go back to a real life scene where she's in a job interview or whatever. Um, it's all her being haunted by these memories and haunted by all these warning signs that she should, should have seen. And one of the ways that this movie, I think, really successfully explores that is through the color palette of this film. Oh, yeah. Because, okay, I read on the IMDb trivia about this. And so I was watching for it. And it's absolutely true. The colors of the bullseye target that Kevin shoots at in the backyard there, which are white, black, red, yellow, blue, like the rings on the bullseye, those colors are present in literally every scene of the movie. Mm -hmm. I know those are primary colors, so it's pretty easy to squeeze them in, but like once you know that, especially yellow, which is the color at the center of the bullseye, once you know that, you start realizing, like, oh, wow, like all of the scenes in this flick, especially the scenes in the past are absolutely coded in those colors. Yeah. To where it, it seems like her memory is so fixated on the bullseye, the target, the you know, uh the focus for that arrow to land in. Uh it's traumatized her in such a way that that's all she sees. Like even when she thinks back about that scene where she's snuggling with Kevin and reading her uh, reading him the Robin Hood book. The book is yellow. I think he's wearing like red or blue pajamas. It's like the signs were there all along. And then even in her modern day post-tragedy world, all she sees is red, like the wall of tomato soup cans she backs up in in the grocery store. Mm -hmm. And uh, blue, the color of her house. Right. Red, the color of the paint that's right. thrown on the house. Yellow, the yellow color of her, her car. car. Yeah. Yeah, it's like she can't see anything but those warning signs now. So like her entire memory that we're being shown the whole movie is, is tainted with warning, for signs. warning signs. Yeah. And she's yeah. like, they were there all along, maybe even in scenes where they shouldn't have been there. Yeah. He's crushing fruity pebbles under his finger. Oh my God. They were the colors. It was a warning sign. Was it really though? Um, the clothes that he wears, those ridiculous kids shirts and stuff that he's wearing are that color palette always. Mm -hmm. And again, she could look at that and be like, it was a warning sign all along. I think it's it's just kind of showing us the the psychological damage that a person must go through whenever they raise somebody that does something awful. Absolutely. They must yeah. look back on every memory, even the good memories, and see them as warning signs. I mean, there's there's all kinds of stories about um, you know, I've been kind of going down this like Dahmer rabbit hole and stuff the past couple months for some reason. But there's all kinds of stories about him, like, oh man, you know, dad was cleaning out the crawl space underneath the house and there's some dead animals that had died under there and he put the bones in a bucket and uh, young Jeffrey Dahmer was fascinated by the sound of the bones. Was that a warning sign or is that just normal childhood curiosity? You can right. look back on it now and say, oh, it was a warning sign. So I think that what we're seeing is everything in Eva's memory about Kevin it's has tainted. just been turned into. Yeah. yeah, it's just been turned into a warning sign. Yep. 
Yeah, which is why we can't know for sure if he was always exactly. evil. Because yep. everything has been tainted in her memory. Everything's tainted, right. Yep. That kind of trauma just puts everything, all of your memories about a person in a different cast. I mean, yeah. you, you start thinking about it and you're like, man, who's somebody that you've known your entire life? If they did something terrible, you would look back at the times that you guys were playing on the playground and he squashed a June bug and be like, oh, it was a sign. He's going to be a yeah. killer. You'd look at it that way. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's really, it's just a really well done overall film. I, I, uh, the score definitely worth mentioning. Let's talk about that soundtrack. Yeah. Ola, what's his name? Johnny Green. Johnny Greenwood. Yeah. Of Radiohead. There it is. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder, because he does, uh, he's done a lot of Paul Thomas Anderson movies. Yeah, he did There Will Be Blood. Yeah. He did the soundtrack to that, I which love is that amazing. Movie. It's so Oh, my good. God, yeah. dude. Yeah, the, the soundtrack in this, that's something I wanted to ask you about, because in reading reviews about it, um, any of the bad reviews that I saw that weren't, oh, a woman wrote this and she hates kids. She ain't doing her job. I hate oh, this movie. Fuck like, that. seriously, there's uh, a lot of those reviews in this movie. Obviously, fuck you if you yeah, think that. dickhead. Yeah, but some of the other reviews were just like, yeah, the soundtrack was jarring and bizarre and weird. Uh, it's got a bunch of like really silly, goofy, like outlaw country songs and stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's cool, personally. I, it. I liked it. Yeah, I absolutely enjoyed every bit of it. And then, of course, the the score bits are just amazing. So cool. They're but really yeah, good. Yeah, I, I liked the soundtrack choices. I, I, I mean... Yeah, that that like kind of goofy country song that's playing uh, sort of at the beginning when she comes out and her house is like just smeared in red paint and her car yeah. is too. That, that it was just like, I don't know, it just kind of set up the tone that this is her everyday life. Like, I don't know why that sort of upbeat folksy country does that for me. That <laughs> It's like, oh yeah, this is day-to-day life. This is how a regular person's living. I'm hearing this music because this is blue collar work day type of stuff. Yeah. I don't know. Well, the same way, though, that, you know, all of her ordinary everyday memories are tainted by this tragedy. It also makes you as a viewer of this movie examine those songs that are coming on the radio or in the grocery store or whatever. It makes you examine them, too. Like she's in the grocery store at the start of the movie and it's playing What Child Is This on the radio. That's just a normal ass Christmas song that you'll hear anywhere. Uh-huh. But the fact that it's in this movie about this evil kid, it makes you go, "Oh, what child is this? It's a warning." Like it makes you re-examine all these old, you know, goofy sounding country songs that are about being a, a lonely son of a bitch. Um, <laughs> it makes you examine them differently and be like, "Oh yeah, cuz Kevin's lonely." Got it. I think that's the point is the way that tragedy makes you re-examine everything that happened leading up to it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it works all very well. So I, I don't really, I don't have any major issues with this film. It is two hours, and I barely noticed. Yeah, I was going to say, to me, like, the pacing of this movie is fantastic. Like, yeah. we had to pause it maybe about, like, 40 minutes in. I think it's had to go, you know, use the bathroom or something. Mm-hmm. I paused it, and I was like, oh, shit, we've been watching this, like, 40 minutes already? It's not like an action-packed, you know, no. thrill ride or anything like that, but... It just moves. Man, yeah. It moves, yeah. And it's like, it's never really on any scene too particularly long, so you kind of feel like it's constantly moving 
forward with this story and you're you know unraveling bit by bit more about what's going on with it it's really really well done man um i can't think of a lot of other movies of this type that are this artsy and stuff that have a pacing that is as brisk as this is at almost two hours yeah yeah so yeah i, don't, I can't i have no major issues with this at all i i really it's, it's hard to say love this movie but i do I just don't want to watch it anytime <laughs> <Yeah>. soon. <laughs> right? Dude, that that's exactly where I'm at with this flick, too, where I'm like, it's basically perfect. Also, I should probably only watch it about once in a decade. Yeah. And, and I'll be good, man. I mean, dude, I, yeah. we've not even mentioned just how fucking unbelievable Tilda Swinton is. She's she so is, good. She's incredible. I think she's yeah. one of the best actresses, one of the most unique, literally one of the most unique faces that we've seen in film yeah. in decades and decades. Mm-hmm. I think that she's absolutely amazing and plays this part so, so fucking very well. Yeah. Yeah. Ezra Miller, as we said, is also great. And John C. Riley, just like, he, you know, you hear John C. Riley's voice and it just makes you smile. Most times, yeah. I think. He's got that good kind of warm, hey, buddy, type of voice. It's Dewey Cox. Yeah. So, yeah, I just, I loved every every moment with uh, Tilda Swinton and, and Ezra Miller together, though, because they're just Yeah. Oh, intense. man, dude. Yeah. And also, too, the way that, the way that Ezra Miller, you know, as a potential sociopath in this movie as Kevin is able to turn on a dime. And as soon as he sees sees dad, there's like, there's a smile on his face. Oh, Hey dad, how was work today? Right. The way he's able just to change immediately change his body language, his, his facial reactions and stuff. As soon as he sees dad, you're just like, man, the manipulation. Right. Just runs so deep. And dude, one of my favorite things about this too, whenever, um, whenever Eva breaks, Kevin's arm because yeah. she's super pissed at him about shit in his pants on purpose just to piss her off. And then Kevin lies to dad and protects mom. He uh-huh. doesn't throw mom under the bus, which is a blatant blackmail. I have this in my back pocket if I need it, mom. Uh, like, yeah. oh God, it's so brutal, dude. Yep. Yeah, it is. Now, Again, they, they could absolutely be false. She could have told him that lie and he could have repeated it so well that now she's remembering it as he was like, you know, so cold about it. And and every time he may have been scratching that scar, he could have just been scratching the scar and it reminded her of the bad thing she did, which she yeah. felt like was him manipulating her. Yeah, I, exactly. I mean, maybe maybe she lifted him up and maybe too aggressively put him on the changing table and he just rolled off and that's how he broke his arm. But in her tormented memory, she's like, oh, I threw him and I broke yeah, his arm. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. it is. I, I, I love that element to it because it, it really does put us fully into that mindset of just where you would be at, where you would be thinking had you been this parent plus not to mention it has the most gruesome irritating and disgusting food eating scene in it since that damn cherry tomato in the lord of the rings return of the king (laughs) man whenever they're talking about celia losing her fucking eye and he's sitting there at the table eating that lychee yeah it's so fucking irritating it is very irritating 
Another oh, irritating, man. disgusting thing when he's biting his nails when she shows Ew. up. Oh, gosh. He bites all of them and lays them out in a row. Oh, yeah. Hard oh, pass. It was grossing me out so much. Super gross, man. I'm having to, like, kind of regrow my nails on my right hand out again because I got a I got a new classical guitar recently. Yeah. And they they just sound best when you play them with your nails and stuff. So I'm kind of, like, regrowing my nails a little bit for the first time in a long time. And uh-huh. it's just reminding me of how fucking gross and weird fingernails yeah. are it's just like part of your skeleton that just sort of sticks out and <laughs> well, you cut it down every now and then it's, it's so not gross. part of your skeleton it's, it's part of my skeleton <laughs> i don't know about you speak for yourself weirdo you got but yeah teeth. they're fucking creepy te- that would be fucking crazy actually now that i think about it to have teeth on your fingers <laughs> That's your next fucking run of, of uh, yes. disgusting Twitter Finger photos teeth. that you put oh, up. Oh, yuck. Hard pass, man. Hard pass. Yeah, it's it's an incredible movie. Like, honestly, I don't think of much anything that could make this better. I think that yeah. the, the, the cast, 100%, is fucking incredible. Those little kids and toddlers and stuff that play Kevin in all the different stages. Yeah. is It's unbelievable. Like, I don't know how... You convince a three-year-old act evil. Like, a three-year-old doesn't even know what good or evil is. Like, you just put them on set and be like, that's mommy. Hate mommy. Like, how do they understand that? This kid is chilling. Yeah, with casting that, a lot of times what you do is, like, you see kids interacting, you see them make a particular face, and you figure out if you can get them to make that particular face. So it's not like, be evil. It's like you know, whatever they were doing at the time, like make this face, you know, and, and kids love to perform. So they'll do it. They, you know, the kid doesn't know. I'm sure seconds after he's just giggling or whatever. Hopefully, (laughs) hopefully that kid's not normally just like scowling at people. (laughs) Holy shit. I want to know what those kids are up to now, man. Now that I think about it, there was a baby when Emily and I used to go to church, there was a baby that, uh, always look mad as hell he just always looks so fucking mad about everything <laughs> oh so, this ain't that baby you showed me them pictures of is it no that's hmm <laughs> that that is uh chucky uh as a baby yeah <laughs> yeah terrifying that, that poor kid he's not gonna be <laughs> an attractive man <laughs> but there are some babies and toddlers that just look angry. You are right. Yeah, yeah. So maybe maybe they just found a particular... But I don't know. A kid looks like uh, he's, he's super cutie, but they just got him to make a mean face or something. And he did it so fucking well, though. So Man, it's effective, dude. And it's... You know, it's all it's all made even more effective by that editing and stuff, which which like I said is just so well done. I don't know how yeah. in the world they planned this out. They had a month to shoot this. They shot this in yeah. thirty days. Yeah. And they, they they must have had a very extensive and comprehensive shot list from what I understand from watching the special features because yeah. man, this is a lot of movie to get in in only thirty days. So they had a, a good bit of planning time i guess but to to come in and and just nail it in 30 days and then of course the editing is gonna do a lot of the work um man it's awesome i love it yeah i agree man i agree i I really don't have any complaints other than you know it's it's not one of those that you can just put on any old time yeah it's not a saturday afternoon watch at all uh did, did i say she she's supposed to be directing a stephen king movie oh coming up. Uh, really? it's called the, the girl who loved uh tom gordon so 
that that might be one that we'll be able to watch regularly. I, I'll have to okay. check out their like Rat Catcher and <laughs> uh, and if I want to start hating Joaquin Phoenix, you were never really here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe if you're looking for a reason to hate him, maybe you just reach for that one, man. <laughs> But yeah, I'm definitely interested to watch anything that this director has to say because I think this is a a masterfully made movie. I I honestly don't think that I can give it anything other than like a nine and a half. I think it's fucking near perfect to me. Yeah, yeah, I would say I'd say that I'm right around there. Nine and a half uh, is probably it because it is it is damn near perfect. Uh, the enjoyability factor is probably the only thing where it's like. Because I, uh, each time I've watched this now, I'm uh, fucking slot, like, just absolutely uh, covered in tears and snot at the end. Yeah. I cannot <laughs> yeah. put myself through this regularly, so. It's tough. It's, it's a tough, tough watch. Yeah. And you know, one thing we never even really discussed during the review and all that jazz is like, is this a horror movie? I think so. Uh, even if we think of it from the perspective of, like, in fact, he wasn't evil. It, it It's displaying the horror that this type of violence perpetuates. I it, She is constantly living in, in fear and terror of the people around her who hate her. Uh, yeah. And she may have been raising a completely evil child who did this maliciously like this is as you said like the omen or like rosemary's baby it's like this concept of this completely evil child because there is another way of reading it that the child isn't evil i can see why somebody would be like well this isn't a horror movie or whatever but if we see that perspective of evil child that is an old horror trope oh yeah Absolutely, yeah. I, I I absolutely classify it as horror. I guess you could call it a, a psychological thriller. Sure. Uh, but I'm not even gonna or call it a, a thriller. It's not really thrilling, exactly. Yeah. It's just maybe just a psychological drama, or yeah, it, it's a it's a tougher one to define. I I'm yeah. way generous with saying anything's horror because I don't see the point in being overly defensive of uh, genre borders. But totally, yeah. It, it it's um. Yeah, it's a, it, I can see people seeing it as a stretch. Well, Steve, next week on the show, we've got something that I am plum excited about. I'm talking excited because we're <laughs> going to be talking about our new mutual obsession that yeah. I think that we've mentioned probably like four times on the show since Definitely. we saw it. <laughs> uh-huh. We're going to be digging deep into Psycho Gorman, which as if that's not... Sicho Gariman, and as if that's not a treat enough, we've also got a very special guest on the show. Tell them about it, Steve. We're going to have Martin from Blitz Berlin, who did yes. the music for Psycho Gorman. And if you don't tune in, I got two words for you. Frig off. Suck it. Oh, frig off. <laughs> <laughs> so be sure to tune in next week where we'll be digging deep into Psycho Gorman. In the meantime... You can follow us on social media. That's right. At Dead Lovely Pod on Twitter and Instagram. We're always over there just posting pictures of myself in short shorts. Um, mm, that's how I do it. Dude, let me tell you. Um, don't ever put on short shorts if you don't um, want to fall in love with short shorts. 
Cause boy, I, I haven't done it. Yeah, maybe I'm maybe I'm missing awesome. out. It's awesome. It's like okay, I'm. It's like I'm wearing underwear, but everybody's cool with it. Nobody would be cool with it though. Cause boy, howdy, the Frank and the Beans are on display. <laughs> no, the mouse is out of the house, huh? These things happen. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, uh, Facebook.com forward slash dead and lovely. Got a, a great group over there. Uh, a Patreon.com forward slash dead and lovely. Head over, mm-hmm. over there. Become a patron on any level. You get access to our Patreon exclusive episodes of TV test pilots where we watch the first episode of a series and uh, decide if we're going to continue watching it. Uh, and if you give us $5 a month, you get to throw a movie into the smoking bowl and we randomly choose one once a month. And then we review that movie here on the show. This is the way it is done. And you can have your movie featured on the next installment of dead and lovely. So be sure to head on over to that Patreon page, support your boys and rate and review this podcast, wherever you can rate and review a podcast some people mm-hmm. choose to do that on the apple podcast app if that floats your boat do it but if there's somewhere else you can review please do helps us out a ton so drop it in you should do that for us drop it in a missed connections on craigslist see if oh yeah listen to a podcast hosted by two hunky guys <laughs> talking about horror and necrophilia <laughs> hoping to find it later thanks bye <laughs> Great review. That's one way to review. Yeah. yeah. Way to do it. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening. Hope everybody out there is doing well. And we'll catch you guys next week for a new installment of Dad and Lovely with the host with the most. It's me, your good buddy, Uncle Ben. And me, Hollywood Steve. And we'll catch you guys next time. Goodbye. Bye. So, you know, I know I'm not alone in having a lot of extra free time to maybe explore some new ideas, some new hobbies and stuff like that during Mm. the the age of COVID. I think a lot of us have discovered new things like baking and gardening and all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. I recently started a new one here that I've gotten into that I want to tell you about because it's really making a difference. And I know you're going to be skeptical about it just because of the way it sounds and stuff. But hear me out. This is really working. All right. I'm listening. I've gotten into crystal therapy. Okay. Tell me about it. Okay. So we all know about the supposed healing power of crystals, and this is one of those things <laughs> I was always really skeptical about. Yeah. I always turned my nose up at people that were all getting into this crystal therapy and stuff, but I was like, you know what? If I'm going to slam it, I need to get my fingers in it, try it out myself right. before I can talk shit about it, right? Okay. So I started doing some experiments. Of my own, and I got to tell you, I'm kind of buying into it a little bit. Okay, check this out. The other day, I found myself with a gnawing starvation in my stomach. I was like, oh my God, I'm so hungry, but I know I've eaten already. I don't need more food in me. Maybe there's something I could do about this. Okay. I got a sack full of crystals, ate them, and the hunger went away. That was my first experience, and I was like, crystals? The wow. the miniature burger chain across the southeast and maybe yeah, maybe uh huh yeah maybe other places yeah, crystal uh-huh. I mean and it totally healed me it made yeah. the the hunger pain go right away right steamed so, burgers on top mm-hmm. of a bed of onions 
That's uh, right. Uh, pickle and some yep. just atomic yep. yellow mustard. Totally my style, as you know. <laughs> Everything you love. <laughs> yep. And it so did then, it. so it did the trick. The next day, I found myself feeling like a little bit low energy. I was like, man, I, I slept good. I had a cup of coffee. Right. But I just have no energy at all. Maybe there's a crystal for this. Right. I scored some crystal meth. It perked me right the fuck up. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that'll do it. That'll do it. Yeah, methyl. Um... Huh. So have you been to sleep or? No, huh? No, it's been about a week now since yeah. that started. It's working great. The pounds are sliding off of me. My complexion. My complexion is getting worse. Okay. 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 How the teeth but, going? You know, uh, you know. Questionable, questionable. Questionable. I got a few that are hanging on okay. by a thread. <laughs> but the crystals not, did not give me great. energy. No. Yeah, but it did you did okay, so you got you got your food and your energy from from uh crystals. So sounds like it works. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. And then I'll tell you what, I was sipping on some water today. I was like, huh, this is boring. You know what I did about that? <laughs> you I added some it? crystal light. Crystalline. <laughs> the healing power of, of crystal, crystal Steve. Light. Yeah, crystal light <laughs> will that'll that'll do it for you, right? <laughs> yep, it'll uh, really fix up some plain water. I'll tell you that with aspartame <laughs> and citric acid <laughs> and natural flavor. It'll do it. There you have it, folks. It's the healing power <laughs> of crystals. I encourage you to try them out too.